Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge this season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. School of Humans. This show follows the investigation of serial murders and contains material that may be disturbing. Listener discretion advised. On our third day in South Africa, the winter clouds parted and the sun warmed the earth. Producer Jennifer Takini and I hopped in a car with Detective Ben Boysen, who took us on a tour of Krugersdorp. And that's 150 meters from Cecilia's flat. Ben's wife, Christelle, and our fellow producer, Jermaine, joined us. There were high-end suburbs with nice homes perched on hills that kind of reminded me of L.A. Some areas looked more suburban, some more rural and far more flat, while other neighborhoods looked dilapidated, under-resourced, forgotten. So, yeah. This area now is, is the worst crime area in Krugersdorp. We ended our tour at the home of EPD's next victim. The housing complex stood on a single-lane road with a field across the street. Not much was visible from outside the walls. Like most of the homes in Krugersdorp, it was protected by tall, imposing white walls. So then it's a gated community. Yeah, which is wild because that gate is huge. And this is a pretty privatized area. So, I mean, someone had to help Marinda and Marcel to be able to get in here. As we looked around, we were reminded that Ben Boysen is a popular guy around these parts. Well, they say nice. Oh, great. I can need a car and truck. Okay. The lady staying in the house said we can go inside. (laughs) And just like that, the security gates parted and we were welcomed in by Anna Marie, the woman who now lives there. Thank you. We got a tour of the home. It looked just like many of the condos that I visited as a kid in the suburbs of Chicago. It felt familiar, safe. But then, 
Knowing what had happened within those walls, gravity set in. I suddenly couldn't stop thinking about the blood that was shed right here in the room where I stood. Chills ran down my spine as Ben described the crime scene. The bedding, the headboard, the wall, and the roof was full of blood. She mentioned there were uh, scratch marks on the door. In the kitchen, there were deep grooves in the corner of one of the old wooden doors leading to the backyard, one that required a skeleton key. Anna Marie spoke in Afrikaans. Christelle and Jemaine translated. Um, what she's saying is that the neighbors actually informed her. It seems that those marks might be from what? when he locked her into the house. So those are still marks that were made from that time on the door. From School of Humans and iHeart Podcasts, this is Queen Havoc and her murder cult. I'm your host, Kurt Kubitschek. Episode 4, Evil Ever After. Being in the house was eerie, but it was nothing compared to being in Mirinda's presence. When I left the prison, I was relieved to find Jermaine waiting for me by the car. I was so shaken up. It was one of the most intense situations I've ever experienced. We can call off the search party. Kurt has arrived, <laughs> looking very, very frazzled. So I'm really keen to see what is going to come from this. We're heading back to the hotel now. We'll see you soon. Are you okay? <sighs> okay. Wow, that was... <sighs> yeah, let's stand outside if that's yeah. okay. Wow. Hearing that again brings you back to how rocked I was. I didn't even have words to articulate my thoughts. It's something I thought I was prepared for. I'd been working on this story for a couple of years, and I knew I needed to be brave to walk into that prison. But actually, the hardest part was walking out. Sitting down with that kind of evil, that stays with you. Here's the person we're calling Luke, who spent some time around Miranda and the group. He refers to her by her profession, the teacher. And if you look at the teacher, she didn't have a good life. She struggled the whole life. She's also got a lot of hurt and she, she wants belonging somewhere. And the children got raised without a father. So it's the perfect evil setup to manipulate and gain someone for your advantage. Like Rhea, Miranda was made vulnerable by her faith, by her upbringing, and I suppose she was the victim in her story. Here's journalist Maritzka Kotzer. Marinda, she's got two sisters. Um, I got to know the aunts. I met the grandmother. They, you know what, they are these very conservative ladies and they don't swear and they don't have hair out of place and they are so soft. Maybe a bit too focused on propriety and maybe why Marinda often felt out of place. To her, it was slow death. And now she was trying to live for something greater than herself, acting in God's name, just like she'd been raised to. But in doing so, she became a monster. She'll kill Marcel and she'll kill Lex. If they go against Cecilia, she will kill. And that's the bloody sad part of this whole story. That choice haunts me. Her betrayal of her own kids, the corruption of their innocence, for what? For her own satisfaction of her psychopathology? When I spoke to her, she actually brought this up, totally unprompted. I studied psychology. I studied psychology. My father was a psychologist. I 
I know I'm not a psychopath. I still have a conscience about things, you know? But then she said this, in almost the same breath. Every time after you kill someone, it's like a Every time after I kill someone, it's like a relief. Psychologist Rosalind McNabb told producer Jennifer Takini what was happening in this case. Psychopathology is a personality disorder categorized as antisocial. It's that manipulation, that calculating ability, the ability to do something that is antisocial. What do you do if your mother or the mother you've been given to actively goes against society with craven hostility? Journalist Jana Marks writes in her book that Marcel coped with her strange existence by working extremely hard at school, getting straight A's. And Marinda was so compromised that she sent her high-achieving daughter to live with Cecilia. She was 13 when she moved in with Cecilia. She was literally told to live with Cecilia, babysit for Cecilia's kids, clean up for Cecilia, do everything. So she, this was really an abandoned kid. LaRue, on the other hand, used drugs as a way to escape. He tried running away a few times, but then he would quickly return. Didn't take him long to learn he had nowhere else to go. No one to help him. And out there on his own, his choices only became more grim. LaRue and Marcel were kept from their father by their mother, Marinda. They were told, your dad does not want to see you. But that's not to say her kids didn't have any male role models in their life. No, for a father replacement, the kids had Zach Valentine. Talk about toxic. LaRue looked up to him, while Marcel took to Michaela. But Michaela was becoming desperate to get away from her husband. To get away from Cecilia, Marinda, all of them. Even the kids. The horror of the murders had not left her. She could not forget what they did. When she realized that her husband was now killing people, she started writing poems um, from the Bible verses on this wall here. Michaela had been so isolated by EPD, she didn't know where else to turn. She felt like she was losing her grip. As her sanity started to unravel, she leaned harder into her faith. A personal favorite Bible quote of Michaela's, Fear not, for I am with thee. The God of Michaela's faith would never condone senseless killing. A book she read on spirituality backed that up. She decided, no, I'm reading this book, Fruits of Life. And in that book, she came to realize God will never ask you to murder anybody. She knew she needed to flee from Cecilia and Electus Perdeus, even if escaping meant she'd have to leave the cult without her husband. First, she had to muster the courage to confront Zach. Ever since he'd killed Pastor Reginald Ben Dixon, things had been weird between them. Zach was changing into someone she didn't recognize. Michaela was also stressed about the couple's finances. Zach was spending heavily on Cecilia's medical bills and pulling big chunks from their savings to support her alleged overseas orphanage. Soon, he was handing over far more money than they earned. When Michaela finally told her husband that she wanted to leave EPD, Zach listened. Then, he calmly suggested they pray on it. Weeks passed. 
Michaela phoned her mother and she said, listen, there's stuff that I, I did and I'm going to the police and I'm sorry for what's going to happen and, and I cannot tell you what it is now, but you'll see, I'm apologizing now. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For most of 2012, Michaela Valentine would leave work early every Thursday so she could stay by Cecilia's bedside. As the year wore on and her doubts about Cecilia and Zach became impossible to ignore, she started indirectly crying out for help. Once, Michaela mentioned to one coworker that she needed to take some time off. Her reason? So she could help her friends build car bombs. This person was later questioned by Suzette about why she never reported that alarming information. She said she's spoken to her husband and her husband said, this is just unbelievable. Just don't go to the police. They're going to think you're crazy. So often in stories like this, we wonder, why didn't anyone say anything? Sound the alarm. Ask for help. People feel like it's not their place. And who would believe them? Michaela's stories about Cecilia's prayer group were so outlandish. How could they possibly be true? Like many others in this story, Michaela's co-worker chose to stay silent. Cut to October 2012. By then, Cecilia had figured out that Michaela was a flight risk and posed a threat to all of them. Michaela knew way too much. If she went to the police, that would be the end. Cecilia and Marinda began feeding Zach lies about his wife. Here's Luke. She has absolutely a mastermind. She knows how to manipulate people. She lied about Michaela to provoke Zach against it. It was about this time that Cecilia turned her manipulation full tilt to seduce Zach. 
Here's journalist Jana Marks. It came to light that he had the understanding that he was married to the wrong woman, Michaela, that Cecilia was actually destined to be his wife. She started playing a psychological game with him. So she's a very dangerous person. On Wednesday, October 3rd, 2012, almost two months after Reginald Ben Dixon was killed, Michaela mustered up the courage to confront her spiritual master and tell her that she was leaving EPD. When she arrived at Casana Flats, Michaela was escorted into Cecilia's bedroom. The door was closed behind her. Marcel waited out in the living room. One-on-ones with Cecilia were rare and unpredictable and could create tension within the group. Silence. Minutes passed. But then, the door to Cecilia's room opened. Michaela emerged. She was light, ebullient, free. Michaela said her goodbyes to Marinda, to LaRue, and to her surrogate baby sister, Marcel. I would guess that some part of her wish she could take Marcel away with her. Then, Michaela exited Kasana Flats for the last time, excited for her future. She was in a good place at that stage, um, chucking everybody away, you know, say, I don't want Marina in my life anymore, I don't want Cecilia in my life anymore. And she told her husband, you must decide, it's me or, or Cecilia. The next morning, October 4th, Michaela wakes up next to Zach. They open their eyes. It's a normal day, like any other. It's Thursday, the day she'd usually take care of Cecilia. But today, she's her own woman. She tends to herself instead. She makes coffee for her and Zach before he leaves for his office at Discovery Life Insurance. Cecilia told Zach they must give her sleeping tablets in a coffee. While Michaela's back is turned, Zach drops two sleeping pills into her morning coffee and watches them dissolve. Suddenly drowsy, Michaela says she'll probably go back to bed. Zach says goodbye and leaves for work. Just a heads up, this next part is quite upsetting. If you or someone with you is a sensitive listener, you might want to skip ahead by a minute or two. Michaela isn't in bed long before Marinda comes through their front door, armed with a hammer and a set of knives. Her daughter, Marcel, follows obediently. Marinda creeps into the bedroom, hammer in hand. She stands over the sleeping Michaela. When Marinda came in, Marinda hit her with a hammer on the, on the head. Marcel stands frozen in the doorway, watching, as her mother is about to murder her only friend. When I spoke to Marinda in prison, she chillingly described to me what happened next. I have this thing in my head that I have to hit her to incapacitate her because she's young. And then I, I, she opened her eyes and she was all drugged. Michaela wasn't fully asleep. She awaked actually. And then she looked at Marinda and then Marinda told her, Michaela, you now need to start to pray because now I'm going to kill you. And then she closed her eyes and she started praying. And then she closed her eyes and she started praying out loud. And she prayed. And I let her pray until she finished and then I stabbed her. 
Marcel nearly faints. She catches herself and leans on the doorframe for support. Her mother seems to forget that she's even there. Mirinda uses a crude knife on Michaela, one made for skinning fish. Without looking back, Mirinda shouts, where are you, to her daughter. Marcel is still holding herself up with the doorframe, frozen. She knows she'll be in trouble with Cecilia if she doesn't honor her instructions. Fear animates her limbs. Marcel approaches Michaela. Her friend's eyes are glazed over. Blood is everywhere. As the life leaks from her body, Michaela's prayers fall weakly from her lips. Marcel stands over Michaela. She looks down at her. She feels the menace of the knife in her hand and her mother's hot stare. Then Marcel surprises herself. She stabs Michaela in the abdomen on her left side. Marcel only stabbed her once. With her knife stuck inside Michaela's body, Marcel lies. She tells her mother, it won't go in. My knife is not sharp enough. That's okay, says Mirinda. Her mother reassures her, I'm almost through. Marcel pulls out the knife she stuck in the side of her only ally. She looks at the blood on the blade. The praying stops. Michaela's lips stop moving. Now, she can hear her mother breathing heavily over Michaela's fatal silence. Marcel stares at the beads of sweat on her mother's brow, her blood-speckled face. Michaela's brief gasp of freedom was short-lived. And she stabbed her 64 times. Unbelievable. So, but this is the house where they, where they used to stay. Before they leave, Marcel helps her mother pull the duvet over Michaela. Mirinda adds an electric blanket. She switches it on. Cecilia had told her followers that the time of death is difficult to determine if a body is exposed to extreme heat. They take Michaela's phone, pocket her wedding ring, use the blood-coated hammer to batter Michaela's tablet to pieces so it can't be tracked. They aim to make it look like a home invasion and robbery. After they leave the scene, mother and daughter scatter all of these items and the murder weapons, dropping them from their car window at various points on their drive back to Casana Flats. EPD gathered together and were reminded of the price of defying Cecilia. Here's journalist Maritska Kotzer. Michaela was always the example, you know? Remember what happened to Michaela. The threat of reprisal for defying Cecilia was now a promise to the group. Zach proved that he would sacrifice his wife to their queen. And Mirinda seemed even more compelled to be the best, the favorite, the most committed, no matter what the cost. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. 
Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. At 3.30 p.m., Zach Valentine returns home. He's not alone. The person that was supposed to sell the house, he made sure that they arrived before him at the gate. He's with a real estate agent named Estelle. In order for his alibi to be airtight, someone has to be there when he discovers his wife's body. Zach had arranged to meet Estelle at his house after work so she could take some photos. Estelle later testified that she waited at the front door with her colleague while Zach went in to greet his wife. The realtor noticed an ashtray had been knocked onto the ground. There was ash all over the carpet. The house smelled of cigarette smoke, alcohol, and men's deodorant. Something's not right, she whispered to her assistant. Then they heard Zach shouting from the other room. It was dark in a room and he came out and he said to the woman, please come, come look, I think my wife is dead. When Estelle gets to the bedroom, she can't tell what's happening. Not until she switches on the light. When she does, she sees someone under the covers of the bed. And there's blood everywhere. Like, everywhere. Zach doesn't touch his wife's dead body. He just stands there. Estelle yells to her assistant to call the police. She pulls Zach gently away from the sight of his dead wife. Is she really dead? Zach asks. Once he's out of the bedroom, Estelle goes back to the bedside to check, to be sure. There was a lot of blood. Everything was blood. She was mutilated. Michaela's gone, Estelle says. Zach walks to the fridge. He chugs an entire carton of fruit juice. Estelle watches him. Then she grabs two cups, thinking some water would be good for her and her colleague. But her hands are trembling so much she drops the glasses. They shatter against the tile floor. And then the, the, the woman asks him, are you not going to phone somebody? Zach doesn't answer. Instead, he wonders aloud where the cats are. She said, find your parents. Um, find the police. Okay, he found his parents and she found the police because he didn't find the police. He never touched his wife. And then he just asked, uh, we must look for my cats. Where's my cats? And um, they found the cats in one of the rooms opened the door and the cats ran, ran out and then he walked outside and he went to stand next to this wall um, smoking a cigarette 
His phone rings. It's his father. Estelle listens as Zack pleads with his father to come to the house. Estelle is relieved that Zack has someone to talk to. Someone who can be there with him. The three of them wait in the living room for what to Estelle feels like hours. Zack inquires if the potential buyers are still coming this afternoon. Will you still be able to sell the house, he asks. No, I've canceled the appointment, Estelle responds. His wife's body is lying lifeless in the next room, growing colder by the minute. It's all Estelle can think about, but Zack wants to know if the house will sell. Maybe he's in shock, Estelle tells herself. Zack leans forward, face in hands. He says, I didn't want to trick my wife. Estelle pretends not to have heard that. She gets up and steps outside. She can hear the sirens that are, to her relief, now approaching. The police take control of the crime scene. They hustle everyone outside and begin taking statements and document the murder with photographs. Michaela's parents arrive in hysterics. A grief counselor speaks with Michaela's parents, but they're interrupted when the counselor hears laughter at the murder scene. She turns and is stunned when she sees it's Zach and his parents. They were standing next to him at the wall, and they were laughing. Zach and his parents are introduced to the grief and trauma counselor. The family makes it known that they are children of God and they don't need to speak with anybody. The grief counselor notes that Zach's eyes are dry. Zach complains aloud that all this is taking so long. The realtor, Estelle, attempts to compassionately explain to him that the police have to photograph the house from every angle. Oh, so you'll get some photos, just not the ones you wanted, Zach sarcastically says to an astounded Estelle. Around 11 p.m. that night, the police finally let the families back into the house. Michaela's mother pulls Zach aside. She wants to know, was Michaela a Satanist? Zach assures her that her daughter was not. The police find assassination kits next to the couple's bed. Each member of EPD has their own kit. It contains gloves, a ski mask, cable ties, knives, strangling wire, and a handgun. This discovery alone should have alerted the detectives that something illegal was going on. People don't typically have strangling wire in their bedside tables. But for whatever reason, the police decide to overlook the matching his and hers assassination kits. Before leaving the murder scene, the trauma counselor approaches Zach one last time. Nearly everyone else is left. She asks Zach if he has a friend to stay with or if he's going to stay with his parents. And he said, no, he's going to sleep there. So he turned that mattress that was full of blood, he turned around and he slept in the same bed that his wife was killed. Unbelievable, no way. Unbelievable. That night, after flipping the mattress, Zach puts a clean set of sheets on the bed. He lies down next to the spot where his wife was murdered, and he falls asleep. Captain Van Vick was stricken when he heard the news of Michaela's murder. He's the officer who brought in all the members of EPD, but didn't have enough to convict them. But he did have ample evidence to apply for a search warrant that would have covered Zach and Michaela's house. We started to compile evidence, submitted the statement to a prosecutor, and we approached him, we told him of the application. He told us to give him the document and he needed a few days to apply his mind. Those few days 
were a few too many. Unfortunately, two days after we gave him the document, um, we received a call that Michaela was, unfortunately, she was murdered. Hearing this blew my mind. How devastating. This is one of the critical errors that may have cost the life of Michaela and the lives of seven others. Unfortunately, for reasons that defy explanation, the police remain distracted by the swirl of coincidence and fears of an occult connection. Enter Detective Suzette Kenotze. The facts was right in front of them, but their attention was drawn to sensation. And you can't investigate like that. After the news of Michaela's murder broke, Rhea Grunewald finally came to terms with the ugly truth she'd been trying to dodge. Cecilia was, in fact, capable of mass murder. She had to be behind it all. The threats, the bombings, the murders, everything. I interviewed Rhea, but she, at some stage, because obviously of being very scared of uh, Celia, she ran off and didn't want to talk to the police anymore. Meanwhile, with one less member, the walls of EPD came down just enough to let Luke, our infiltrator, in. For real this time. But first, he needed to be just as guilty as the rest of them. We spoke about killing Riasan Joshua. Joshua will never know how close he was to death so many times. Fortunately for Joshua, Luke wasn't a killer. But then one of the witnesses that was part of the group at some stage, they brought him to me and he was asked to help with this conspiracy of murder. Um, and that was with Ria's uh, son. Detective Suzette officially took over the murder investigations, which coincided perfectly with Luke's plans to turn EPD in. Things were heating up at Kasana Flats, and Luke's loyalty to Cecilia officially became a matter of life or death. You know when it's your time, and it was my time. On the next episode of Queen Havoc. When we went to, to search the apartment, we had a warrant. I went into Cecilia's room. I started asking her some questions about the occult, and she couldn't answer me. They know if they're going to do something now, the spotlight is on them. And that's why they stop with the killings and stuff. I had to run for my life. I was almost murdered that night. Queen Havoc and Her Murder Cult is a production of School of Humans and iHeart Podcasts. Queen Havoc is hosted and created by me, Kurt Kubicek. Produced and written by Jennifer Takini, Julia Kriskow, and Kurt Kubicek. Lead producer is Julia Kriskow. Story editor is Zarin Burnett. Senior producer is Amelia Brock. Production manager is Daisy Church. Original music composed by Claire Campbell. Editing, sound design, and scoring by Jesse Neiswanger. Associate producers are Dashin Moodley and Jermaine Kriher. Additional producing by Ben Melman. Fact-checking by Dennis Webster. Recording engineers are Graham Gibson, Clay Hillenberg, and Josh Hook. Rinda Stein was read by Angelique Pretorius. Executive producers are Virginia Prescott, L.C. Crowley, Brandon Barr, Jennifer Takini and Kurt Kubicek. We want to thank all of those who so generously welcomed us in South Africa and shared their stories. 
we're incredibly grateful to you all. We also want to acknowledge how traumatic these events are for the victims and their families. Please respect their privacy. If you or someone you know has been affected by cult behaviors, there are resources available, including Voices for Dignity at ChristineMurray.com. Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge this season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in The Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.